0: CHAPTER 41 OF Jenny GERHART BY THEODORE DREISER THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. BUT WORSE WAS TO FOLLOW. THE AMERICAN PUBLIC LIKES GOSSIP ABOUT WELL-KNOWN PEOPLE, AND THE CANES WERE WEALTHY AND SOCIALLY PROMINENT. THE REPORT WAS THAT LESTER, ONE OF ITS PRINCIPAL HEIRS, HAD MARRIED A SERVANT GIRL, HE AN HEIR TO MILLIONS. COULD IT BE POSSIBLE? What a piquant morsel for the newspapers. Very soon, the paragraphs began to appear. A small society paper, called the South Side Budget, referred to him anonymously as the son of a famous and wealthy carriage manufacturer of Cincinnati, and outlined briefly what it knew of the story. Of Mrs., it went on sagely, not so much is known, "'except that she once worked in a well-known Cleveland Society family as a maid "'and was, before that, a working girl in Columbus, Ohio. "'After such a picturesque love affair in high society, "'who shall say that romance is dead?' "'Lester saw this item. "'He did not take the paper, but some kind soul took good care "'to see that a copy was marked and mailed to him.' It irritated him greatly, for he suspected at once that it was a scheme to blackmail him. But he did not know exactly what to do about it. He preferred, of course, that such comments should cease, but he also thought that if he made any effort to have them stopped, he might make matters worse. So he did nothing. Naturally, the paragraph in the budget attracted the attention of other newspapers. It sounded like a good story, and one Sunday editor, more enterprising than the others, conceived the notion of having the romance written up. A full-page Sunday story, with a scare-head, such as Sacrifices Millions for His Servant's Girl Love. Pictures of Lester, Jenny, the house at Hyde Park, the cane manufactory in Cincinnati, and the warehouse on Michigan Avenue, certainly. Such a display would make a sensation. The Kane Company was not an advertiser in any daily or Sunday paper. The newspaper owed him nothing. If Lester had been forewarned, he might have put a stop to the whole business by putting an advertisement in the paper or appealing to the publisher. He did not know, however, and so was without power to prevent the publication. The editor made a thorough job of the business. Local newspapermen in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus were instructed to report by wire whether anything of Jenny's history was known in their city. The Bracebridge family in Cleveland was asked whether Jenny had ever worked there. A the garbled history of the Gerharts was obtained from Columbus. Jenny's residence on the north side for several years prior to her supposed marriage, was discovered, and so the whole story was nicely pieced together. It was not the idea of the newspaper editor to be cruel or critical, but rather complimentary. All the bitter things, such as the probable illegitimacy of Vesta, the suspected immorality of Lester and Jenny in residing together as man and wife, the real grounds of the well-known objections of his family, to the match, were ignored. The idea was to frame up a Romeo and Juliet story in which Lester should appear as an ardent, self-sacrificing lover, and Jenny as a poor, lovely working girl, lifted to great financial and social heights by the devotion of her millionaire lover. An exceptional newspaper artist was engaged to make scenes depicting the various steps of the romance and the whole thing was handled in the most approved yellow-journal style. There was a picture of Lester obtained from his Cincinnati photographer for a consideration. Jenny had been surreptitiously snapped by a staff artist while she was out walking. And so, apparently, out of a clear sky, the story appeared highly complimentary, running over with sugary phrases, but with all the dark, sad facts looming up in the background. Jenny did not see it at first. Lester came across the page accidentally and tore it out. He was stunned and chagrined beyond words. To think the damned newspaper would do that to a private citizen who was quietly minding his own business, he thought. He went out of the house, the better to conceal his deep inward mortification. He avoided the more populous parts of the town, particularly the downtown section, and rode far out on Cottage Avenue to the open prairie, he wondered, as the trolley car rumbled along, what his friends were thinking, Dodge and Burnham Moore and Henry Aldrich and the others. This was a smash, indeed. The best he could do was to put a brave face on it and say nothing, or else wave it off with an indifferent motion of the hand. One thing was sure. He would prevent further comment. He returned to the house calmer, his self-poise restored, but he was eager for Monday to come in order that he might get in touch with his lawyer, Mr. Watson. But when he did see Mr. Watson, it was soon agreed between the two men that it would be foolish to take any legal action. It was the part of wisdom to let the matter drop. "'But I won't stand for anything more,' concluded Lester. "'I'll attend to that,' said the lawyer consolingly. Lester got up. "'It's amazing. This damned country of ours,' he exclaimed. "'A man with a little money hasn't any more privacy than a public monument.' "'A man with a little money,' said Mr. Watson, "'is just like a cat with a bell around its neck. Every rat knows exactly where it is.' and what it is doing. That's an apt simile, assented Lester bitterly. Jenny knew nothing of this newspaper story for several days. Lester felt that he could not talk it over, and Gerhardt never read the wicked Sunday newspapers. Finally, one of Jenny's neighborhood friends, less tactful than the others, called her attention to the fact of its appearance by announcing that she had seen it. Jenny did not understand at first. "'A story about me?' she exclaimed. "'You and Mr. Kane, yes,' replied her guest. "'Your love romance.' Jenny colored swiftly. "'Why, I hadn't seen it,' she said. "'Are you sure it was about us?' "'Why, of course,' laughed Mrs. Stendhal. "'How could I be mistaken? "'I have the paper over at the house. "'I'll send Marie over with it when I get back.' You look very sweet in your picture." Jenny winced. "'I wish you would,' she said weakly. She was wondering where they had secured her picture, what the article said. Above all, she was dismayed to think of its effect upon Lester. Had he seen the article? Why had he not spoken to her about it? The neighbor's daughter brought over the paper, and Jenny's heart stood still, as she glanced at the title-page there it all was uncompromising and direct how dreadfully conspicuous the headline this millionaire fell in love with this lady's maid which ran between a picture of lester on the left and Jenny on the right there was an additional caption which explained how lester son of the famous carriage family of cincinnati had sacrificed great social opportunity and distinction to marry his heart's desire. Below were scattered a number of other pictures, Lester addressing Jenny in the mansion of Mrs. Bracebridge, Lester standing with her before an imposing and conventional-looking parson, Lester driving with her in a handsome Victoria, Jenny standing beside the window of an imposing mansion, the fact that it was a mansion being indicated by most sumptuous-looking hangings, and gazing out on a very modest working man's cottage pictured in the distance. Jenny felt as though she must die, for very shame. She did not so much mind what it meant to her, but Lester, Lester, how must he feel, and his family. Now they would have another club with which to strike him and her. She tried to keep calm about it, to exert emotional control. But again, the tears would rise, only this time they were tears of opposition to defeat. She did not want to be hounded this way. She wanted to be let alone. She was trying to do right now. Why couldn't the world help her, instead of seeking to push her down? End of chapter 41